0: Final game to quickly mention: then, The nine and seven, Indianapolis Colts traveling to the two and fourteen, Jacksonville Jaguars. The Colts need to win to secure their playoff spot. They will. I'm locking Colts, and that's not just me being a pessimistic Pittsburgh fan who sees that the Jaguars need to win and go. Oh, it's not going to happen. I mean, it, just come on. It's the Colts. It's the Jags. The Jags need to secure the number one pick in the NFL draft. They will absolutely do that. Hello and welcome to the NFL Blitz as we review week 18 of the NFL season. It was a bit weird. You'll see this if you read my power rankings on the Sports Blitz website, but this was a very, very weird week and there's a lot to talk about. And of course, with what happened after the games had finished with Black Monday, there's a lot to talk about. There two findings in particular really surprised me, but it was An interesting week in the NFL as a Steelers fan. It was an incredibly stressful week. It shouldn't have been, but a certain game made it stressful. In fact, two games made it stressful. Three games, actually, really. But I wasn't expecting the week to pan out the way it did. I don't think any NFL fan expected this week to pan out the way it did. So it does mean there's a lot to discuss as we head into the playoffs, but welcome to the show today, I hope you're doing well, I hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual, remember to go to anchor.fm forward slash the NFL Blitz if you want to find out where you can play this podcast, you can also play it there, or you can keep doing what you're doing, you are absolutely fantastic at playing podcasts, and to be honest, I think if there was a league on how to play podcasts, you would have secured the number one seed in it, that analogy made no sense whatsoever, but you know what, we're just going to stick with it. And remember to go to the Sports Blitz website for writing about the NFL and other sports, including the Week 18 power rankings. And by the time that this podcast has come up, I should have put up the first part of the NFL 2021 review. I did one last year. and I've started writing it for this year's. And it'll just be my thoughts on every team, who the best player was and what they need to improve on. Though, to be honest, I've been finding the writing of how to improve the teams a lot harder this year I don't know if it's because like more stuff has filtered out of my brain on like what every team needs to do to improve but I was just sat there with a lot of the teams so you know especially the ones who are middling just going I don't know I guess the run defense was bad yeah I'll put that Whatever. So that was definitely the most challenging part of that article but for the most part obviously I really enjoy writing the NFL review of the season and it's always the biggest sort of single article on the website every year. I say that, this will be the second year I've written it, I I can tell you right now I don't normally write articles that will end up being as long as this one. I am also planning later in the week to do NFL Blitz Awards for the regular season and a article going through the best games and best plays of the regular season as well. So let's go into the games then from week 18. We're going to do this in a different way to normal. We're going to start off with the AFC playoff picture and we're going to go into the NFC playoff picture later on. Let's start with the battle for the final two wildcard spaces in the AFC playoffs and this was where there was not meant to be any surprises. So the Colts had the easiest path to the playoffs. All they had to do was beat the 2-14 Jacksonville Jaguars and they would be in. Very simple but the Colts apparently don't do simple. Indianapolis Colts 11 Jacksonville Jaguars 26. You know I really should have learned my lesson because last year On the week one preview podcast, I said this. Do we think the Colts will win? The Indianapolis Colts are travelling to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Not only do I think the Colts will win, I'm guaranteeing the Colts will win. I'm locking Colts. So, I've already locked the Colts away at the Jags before and I seemingly didn't learn my lesson on why I shouldn't do that. I thought this time will be different. It wasn't different. Obviously, I think it's worth noting as well where the Jaguars were as a franchise coming into this game. If they lost, they would have secured the first overall pick, and as well as that, the atmosphere around the stadium before the game was bad. There were a lot of people at this game dressed as clowns, and their reason for dressing as clowns was because of the way the Jaguars have been ran, because they are very unsatisfied with the general manager, Trent Bolker, who, as of recording of this podcast, has not been fired, much to the dismay of Jaguars fans. And so the protests, the stuff with the person doing the quiz saying fire Bolker, and just how messy it was for the Jaguars, this sort of image of them entering the game. One sponsor even tried to pull out from sponsoring the Jags this week because of the clown protests this game. That company by the way Ruthclaim.com who apparently not heard about the Streisand effect because if they're not done that then I wouldn't be talking about Ruthclaim.com on a podcast in the United Kingdom. So well done you and it's not like I'm talking about them in a positive way. Some publicity is bad publicity. So that was sort of the atmosphere for the Jacksonville Jaguars entering this game. It was truly bad and then the game started And on the opening drive of the game, Trevor Lawrence went 8-8, 83 yards, and a touchdown. And, okay, you know what? Bad start to the game. Trevor Lawrence was the first overall pick. You know, he's going to get better eventually. And so, you know, let's not panic. Let's not panic. And then Jonathan Taylor was stopped on fourth and two. And at that point, I sort of... I sent a message to our chat going, "What's going on? What are the Colts doing? They're not. No, 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 no. They're not gonna. They're not gonna lose to the Jaguars when all they need to do is win to secure the playoff spot. That's not. No, that's not gonna happen. But the Colts never improved. At the halftime break, it was 13-3 to Jacksonville." And it was turning into one of the shocks of the season. Trevor Lawrence, in that first half, went 19 for 25, 208 yards and one touchdown. And to be honest, it could have been a lot worse because one of the themes of the Jaguars this season has been poor wide receiver play. Which has been quite a surprise because they were kind of okay with wide receivers last year. Of course, Urban Meyer, in his infinite wisdom, sacked Keenan McCardell and then the wide receiver call just went off a cliff. So, you know, more great stuff from Urban Meyer. But it could have been worse for the Colts because Treadwell had an easy drop and would have been a 50-yard pass, and LaVisca Chenault drops one in the end zone as well. So this could have been even worse for the Colts. They were actually very lucky to be going into the locker room only down 13-3. And, you know, at the halftime break, you've got chances to make those vital adjustments. You know what you want to do for the second half. You can correct any issues. And um, the Colts came out for the second half, ready to pull this game back, ready to force their way back into playoff contention. And they fumbled on the first drive. Great. Fantastic. Awesome start. The Jaguars then kicked a field goal, made it 16-3. Wentz comes back out. He's ready to pull this game back for the Colts. He throws an interception. And actually, it's worth pointing out that if Wentz had been able to go through this entire game without throwing an interception, he would have been the first quarterback in the history of the NFL to play eight games on the road and not throw a single interception in any of them. That would have been phenomenal. Didn't happen through an interception on... That play. And after that it felt like there really was no way back for the Colts. Jacksonville eventually scored another touchdown at the end of the third quarter. Marvin Jones made a fantastic catch, and that was pretty much all she wrote. The Jaguars had done another field goal, the Colts got a touchdown late on Michael Pittman Jr. scoring on a throw from Carson Wentz, but there was no way they were getting back at that point. And that was it. The game finished 11-26 in favour of the Jaguars. The Colts had to hope other results went their way to make the playoffs. And it was such an underwhelming game for Indianapolis. This was dreadful. Carson Wentz had a horrible game, 17-29, for 185 yards, one touchdown, one interception, a passer rating of 74.6 Jonathan Taylor, for the most part, was completely quiet. He had two chances to run the ball on fourth down, and the Jaguars completely stuffed him both times. He had 77 yards in the end on the ground, 18 through the air, but it just wasn't going to be good enough. And the whole Colts team essentially just collapsed. The Jaguars' offence did play Well, you have to give them their credit. Trevor Lawrence, 23 for 32, 223 yards, two touchdowns, a passer rating of 111.8. Raquel Armstead, 52 yards rushing. Marvin Jones, 88 yards through the air. You know, the Jaguars' offense did play well, but the Colts' defense just gave them chance after chance after chance. Key for writing The Athletic, it's not only the biggest choke job in Colts history, it's perhaps the worst loss in the 68 seasons that this team has played. Losing by 15 to a team destined for the top pick in the draft with a playoff berth on the line. Man handled up to the tune of 6 sacks and 10 quarterback hits. I couldn't draw up a worse way for this season to end for this franchise, they'll have to live with that for the coming months. And there's a lot... The Colts are going to have to live with because they gave up a first round pick for Carson Wentz. And when you're doing that, that quarterback has to come through in the clutch. And Carson Wentz, in the biggest game of the year, in the one game that mattered more than any other, completely folded. Jonathan Taylor even, I've been talking about Jonathan Taylor for most of this season as an MVP candidate. He's not winning the MVP because he folded as well. He had a reasonable game statistically, but when it came to making the big plays, Jonathan Taylor couldn't do it in this game against one of the, if not the worst defense in the NFL. And the result of this game is going to leave a very sour taste in the mouths as they enter it's going to be a very long offseason. Boston Connor on Twitter, the Colts were the first team in NFL history to have more than five pro bowlers and not make the playoffs. They had so many players do very well this year, and there was a point a couple of weeks ago in which no one wanted to play the Colts in the playoffs. Rich Eisen on Twitter, in the span of two weeks, the Colts went from the team nobody wanted to see in the playoffs to a team nobody is seeing in the playoffs. That sort of summarises what's happened to the Colts. A couple of weeks ago, they had a 96% chance of making the playoffs, and they blew it. A lot of the decisions that the Colts have made, especially last off-season, are really going to hang with them. Obviously, the main one being the trade for Carson Wentz. Wentz has played well through parts of this season, but as I mentioned, you've got to show up in the clutch. You've got to show up when it matters most. So you've got to carry the team on your back to victory. And to be honest, for most of this year... Carson Wentz has been on Jonathan Taylor's back as he's carried for team's to victory. PFF on Twitter, the Colts-Eagles trade summary. Colts received Carson Wentz. Eagles received a top 20 pick, a third round pick, $103 million in cap relief. The Eagles made the playoffs. The Colts did not. And that says it all. The Colts threw everything at Carson Wentz this offseason. The Eagles were very lucky to get that haul back. The Eagles have taken their prior backup quarterback in Jalen Hurt turned him into one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league and have made the playoffs as a result, the Colts are not going to be in the postseason. And that is why the season is going to be so miserable for the Colts. For the Jaguars though, what a way to end the season because we'll talk about this later on but I'm going to spoil it right now because of other results. The Jaguars did get the first pick in the NFL draft and not only did they get that first overall pick which means they can pick whatever player they want but also they won this game it was the most convincing victory they've had in a very long time and the victory that gives you most optimism for this team going forward because obviously this wasn't as surprising as beating the Buffalo Bills that was definitely the more surprising game but the thing about that is that the offense were bad in that game and to be honest it was It felt more like the Bills had lost because they completely just couldn't do anything. Now, Josh Allen played really well in that game for the Jaguars, but it still felt like, you know, the Bills had really struggled, whereas this just feels like a really convincing victory for the Jacksonville Jaguars. If you're a Jaguars fan, that's how you can read that. Obviously, everyone's going to be talking about the Colts collapsing, but... Whilst the Colts helped, it felt like the Jaguars really took control of this game more than they did in their win against Buffalo. So they end the season on this real high, a really good performance, something to give them real optimism heading into 2022, and they get that first overall pick as well. So a really good game for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Maybe their fans should start wearing clown suits more often. It's clearly working for them. The Indianapolis Colts finished the season 9 and 8 and 2nd in the AFC South. The Jacksonville Jaguars finished the season 3 and 14 and 4th in the AFC South. So, as a result of the Colts losing to the Jaguars, it meant that the Ravens and the Steelers still had the door open for them. If the Colts wanted to make the playoffs, then they would have to hope that the Steelers would lose... But to be honest, when you're so bad that you're losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars, the football gods aren't going to give you anything. And that's what happened. Pittsburgh Steelers 16, Baltimore Ravens 13 after overtime. The weird thing about this game is that I had planned to do this big sort of speech about Ben Roethlisberger, what he meant to me as a fan of the NFL and what it means now that he's retiring and all of this stuff about how this was his last game and it was... How it was so nice he'd be able to go out with a bang. That would be if he won. And if he didn't win, then, you know, it doesn't matter. This season's been okay. And it's nice to know that he'll be going to the Hall of Fame. But the Jaguars started winning. And then I was like, oh, this might not actually be his last game. And at first I wanted to win just because, you know, it meant that Ben Roethlisberger would finish his career on a high. Um, then it changed to me wanting a win, so that Ben Roethlisberger gets one more trip to the playoffs, so his last playoff game isn't that loss to the Browns. And, of course, we'll get on to what happened in the Sunday Night Football, but that is what ended up happening. Ben Roethlisberger in this game himself, he didn't have a great game, 30-44, for 244 yards, one touchdown, one interception, a pass rate of 80.1, but... It was enough, and it was enough because of how great the Steelers' defense was once again. And that is where we're going to have to talk about the star of this game, the star of this season, the best player on the Steelers, TJ Watt. He needed just a single sack to tie Michael Strahan's record for most sacks in an NFL season. Entering the game, TJ Watt sat at twenty-one and a half. Michael Strahan's record was at twenty-two and a half, and in the first quarter, he got on top of Tyler Huntley. Yes, the record has been tied. Yeah, until they turned it into a tackle for loss and not a sack, and it pushed TJ back down to twenty-one and a half. Oh God, I I even said I want nothing else. I'm happy with losing this game. If it means TJ ties the record or breaks the record, whatever. I want him to get that record at least shared. Just please, God. And then, at the end of the second quarter, it happened. He came off the left. He broke round. I think it was Mark Andrews who was trying to guard him and sacked Tyler Huntley for his 22nd and a half sack of the season. At last... Finally, I could enjoy the rest of this game. I ended up not enjoying the rest of this game because it was super stressful. But it was something I could finally celebrate. And that sack did stand. TJ Watt has tied Michael Strahan, the Hall of Famer, for most sacks in an NFL season at 22 and a half. JJ Watt on Twitter, no words, just proud. And I think we're all proud, to be honest, even though we're not his brother TJ Watt has been simply sensational for the Pittsburgh Steelers this year. He absolutely deserves Defensive Player of the Year. He should run away with that award this year. He should have won it last year, but to be honest, if he gets it this year, I'll be fine with it. He has been absolutely sensational for the Steelers. He's been a driving force. He has been the most important player on the team this year because when he's been playing, the Steelers have played really well. When he's been out, the Steelers have not been playing really well. And, of course, there have been a lot of discussions this year as to whether records will have an asterisk. And that's stupid for two reasons. One reason, which is general, one which is for the TJ Watt conversation. But in general, there have been an increasing number of NFL games throughout the years anyway. You know, when the league started up, I think it only had eight games in a regular season. Then it went to 12, 10, 12, 14, then 16. Now we're at 17. No one has ever wanted to place an asterisk on an NFL record before. Not when we move to 16 games. Not when we move to 14 games. Not at any point before. So why would it be any different this time around? That's a general point. But for if this was actually... Before we move on. If this was a one-year thing. If the NFL was going to move back to 16 games next year. Then I would understand. Because it would be this weird one-off season. But it's not going to be this weird one-off season. The players complain about it, but unless they collectively get together and threaten a strike over this 17th game, nothing's going to change. The 17th game is too valuable to the NFL for them to just consider randomly ditching it for no reason. So, the 17th game is here to stay. The records that have been broken in the 17-game season will stay as well, but the other point to make uh, specifically regarding TJ Watt's record, is that he's missed two games this season. In fact, he missed uh, two and a half games because he was also out for most of that Raiders game too. So in the end, he actually played fewer games than Strayan did when he got his 22 and a half sacks. So any idea that the Watt record has an asterisk is completely ridiculous. He had as many sacks in fewer games. End of. That record is his. And I think a lot of people have been saying online that he sort of stands alone on that record because he did it in fewer games. And to be honest, I know I'm a Byers Steelers fan, but I also really like the Giants and really like Michael Strahan because he's absolutely phenomenal. But I agree. I think he holds that record alone. If he's done the same thing in fewer games, he deserves it. End of. So obviously the TJ Watt moment was absolutely exceptional, but the game carried on. The Ravens were the team who looked like they were going to win this game. Latavius Murray at the start of the third quarter, rushed in a 46-yard touchdown to make it 10-3. was the opening touchdown of the game. And to be honest, it just looked like the Steelers weren't going to be able to do enough to get back into the game. But at the end, Ben Roethlisberger put in one really good drive Chase Claypool catching a six-yard touchdown from Ben Roethlisberger. By the way, Chase Claypool has been better since that stuff that happened in Minnesota. So, fingers crossed that he, you know, matures as he enters his third season in the NFL next year. But he caught the touchdown that gave the Steelers the lead, 13-10, with just under three minutes to go. The Steelers had to make one stand on defense didn't. Justin Tucker kicked a 46-yard field goal and we went to overtime. And I I didn't expect anything from this. You know, at this point, the Colts game was confirmed. They had lost. The Steelers were practically in if they won against the Ravens. The Ravens got the ball first in overtime. I thought, oh great, here we go. They're going to march straight down the field and score because I'm a massive pessimist. Uh, They didn't though. They gave it back To the Steelers from the 17 yard line, Ben Roethlisberger put in another great drive. And to be honest, it was mostly Ben Roethlisberger. Najee Harris on that entire drive ran for 20 yards of that. So, yeah, Ben Roethlisberger was the driving force on that final drive for the Steelers. And he completed a few really clutch throws. The third and seven to Pat Friermuth was absolutely fantastic. The third and nine to Deontay Johnson was exactly the same. And of course, the fourth and eight to Ray Ray McLeod, who had been playing horribly in overtime before that, was also massively important. That gave him a first down within field goal range when G Harris got Chris Boswell even closer. It was essentially an extra point attempt by the time the Steelers got to kicking it. Chris Boswell, did absolutely do that because behind Justin Tucker, he is the best kicker in the NFL. And the Steelers won this game 16-13. An absolutely fantastic result for Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers' side. It means they live to fight another day, as we'll get into later. And, you know, he did enough. And that was most important. Tyler Huntley had what I would say was his first actual bad game as of the Ravens' starting quarterback. 16-31, 141 yards a pass rating of 37.2, two interceptions as well, didn't mention them. He did rush the ball relatively well, 12 carries, 72 yards. Latavius Murray was the star of the Ravens' offense, 150 yards rushing the ball. Mark Andrews also had 85 yards through the air, but the Ravens were shut down by their exceptional Steelers' defense. It's why Lamar Jackson has not beaten Ben Roethlisberger yet, and it's why Tyler Huntley was not able to beat Ben Roethlisberger in this game. We'll talk about the Ravens more in an upcoming podcast and why this season went so wrong for them. This was their sixth straight loss, but they're going to be fine. They're going to bounce back. And for the Steelers, it means that, and I know I've spoiled it, but it means that they're going to be going into the playoffs and it means that Ben Roethlisberger gets at least one more game and probably only one more game because we'll mention later on, but for Steelers, have not exactly been given a great game um, to to play him in, in the wild card round. The Pittsburgh Steelers finished the season with a 9 7 1 record, seventh in the AFC and second in the AFC North. The Baltimore Ravens finished the season 8 and 9 and fourth in the AFC North. So that win for the Pittsburgh Steelers meant that barring a tie, in the game between the Chargers and the Raiders, they would be making the playoffs. And I mean, what's the chances of it finishing in a tie, right? There had been 271 games this season in the NFL, and only one of them had ended in a tie. So what really were the chances of game 272 ending in a tie? Unlikely. Oh my... Los Angeles Chargers 32, Las Vegas Raiders 35 after overtime. Well, I actually decided to stay up and watch this game because I didn't have to be up on Monday morning and I really wanted to see how this game panned out. So, you know, I thought, yeah, I might as well watch it. That ended up being a mistake. This was the single most stressful game I have watched in my entire life. And to be honest, I can't even say that technically because I didn't watch overtime. I went, nope, not doing it. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to bed. I, of course, didn't go to sleep because I couldn't because I had to see how this game finished. But oh my god, this was the most stressful game for Steelers fan. And by the way, it didn't help that the NBC crew were absolutely so desperate For there to be a tie, at least Chris Collinsworth was. And I know Chris is a former Cincinnati Bengal, but Jesus Christ, man, show some impartiality. They were absolutely desperate. And at first, it looked like they weren't going to get their wish. Because after the game started 14-10 in favour of the Chargers, the Raiders completely took over and ended up taking a 29-14 lead. With just over eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. All they had to do realistically was kick a field goal at any point to win the game. And they did not do that. What happened next for the Steelers fan was hair-pullingly stressful. It was the most stressed I have felt watching an NFL game, including... The game that had preceded it when the Steelers pulled out that narrow victory against the Baltimore Ravens. The Chargers got the ball back. Justin Herbert would have to score the touchdown on this drive. But luckily, the Steelers were able to start celebrating because a fourth and sixth pass on that drive came up short. Yes, time to celebrate. The Chargers cannot get back into this game now. And then Los Angeles challenged it. And they were absolutely right to do that because they were correct in saying that it actually wasn't short to the 1st down marker. The ruling was overturned. The drive continued. But luckily for Steelers fans, they wouldn't have to panic for much longer because the Chargers were on 4th and 21 from the Vegas 23-yard line. All Vegas had to do was stop a 4th and 21 to guarantee victory and to guarantee the Steelers' place in the playoffs. And Justin Herbert threw a 23-yard touchdown. And at that point, it seemed like what was going to happen was absolutely inevitable because the Chargers were nine points behind, they went for two, they got the two-point conversion. Mill now seven points behind. They're going to tie the game. They're going to take it into overtime. They're going to tie in overtime. The Steelers will not hear the end of this from now until the end of the universe. Oh my God! Why? I would have preferred to be, to have lost five hundred nil to the Ravens than have to deal with this crap. And of course, overtime went exactly where I expected it to. The Raiders couldn't get going on offense. They punted it back to the Chargers, who then went up the field once again and scored another touchdown. And bearing in mind, oh my God, the number of fourth down conversions. On that drive alone, we've mentioned the two fourth down conversions on the drive that got the game to 22-29. But then... Justin Herbert converted a 4th and 10 from his own 17-yard line. He then didn't convert a 4th and 10 from the 28-yard line, but defensive holding meant that the Chargers automatically got a 1st down. He then converted a 3rd and 10 from the Chargers 33. He then completed a 4th and 10 from the Vegas 43, and then, with 5 seconds left, in Regulation time, he threw another touchdown to tie the game at 29-all. Oh, my God. You just knew at this point that overtime was going to end in a tie because, of course, it was because the football gods apparently have some vendetta against Pittsburgh now for no particular reason. Who wants Ben to have a nice send-off anyway? Let's just... Oh, my God. And it felt so absolutely obvious. Daniel Carlson kicked a field goal for the Raiders in overtime. By the way, I wasn't watching the game at this point. But Daniel Carlson converted a kick in overtime to make it 32-29. Dustin Hopkins matched him. And then with 4 minutes 30 remaining, the Raiders got the ball for what would be the final drive of the game. And the Raiders marched up the field methodically. They faced two third downs, the second of which is more important than the first. But on that first third down, with the Raiders close to the halfway line, Derek Carr completed a pass today, Jones, for 11 yards. That got them into very far-out field goal range. They would need to move forward to get Daniel Carlson into good field goal range. By the time there were 38 seconds remaining the Raiders were on third and four from the Chargers' 39-yard line. This would be a 55-yard field goal attempt. And it's at this point we have to talk about what happened next because there has been a lot of controversy around what happened next. Obviously, a tie would have taken both teams into the playoffs, something that NBC really wanted to happen, something that a large number of NFL fans wanted to happen. I don't know if that's because it would have meant the season finished weirdly or just because they really hate the Steelers. Either way, it's absolutely beyond stupid. But the Raiders come out and they line up in shotgun formation. At this point, it's very clear what the Raiders are going to do. 38 seconds left. They want to run the clock down and make sure they have the last play of the game to kick a game-winning field goal. This is absolutely obvious, especially with hindsight. With four seconds to go on the play clock, Brandon Staley calls a timeout. And it's at this point I want to talk about the influence that commentators have over narrative of a game. I think the best example of the power commentators have over the narrative of a game is Joe Buck when Randy Moss mooned the Green Bay crowd. I think if he had not said anything then the NFL wouldn't have done anything. But he went, that is disgusting. That is absolutely horrible from Randy Moss. And the NFL fined Moss $10,000. I use that as an example to set up what I'm going to say next, which is that how NBC reacted to this. Set up the narrative that has dominated since the end of the game. Because NBC... We were expecting the game to end in a tie at this point. They sort of, Chris Collinsworth was desperate for the game to end in a tie. And so Brandon Staley calls this time out. Now, the reason is obvious. The Raiders were going to run the ball with Josh Jacobs. And he thought that the wrong defensive personnel were on the field. And that he wanted to stop the clock so he could make the changes necessary to help him stop the Raiders. On third down because if he stops them they're facing a 55 yard field goal and whilst it's likely that Daniel Carlson makes that it's much harder than a 40 odd 30 odd yard field goal so he wants to get this stop and of course if he does he can call another timeout and maybe get a desperation shot to win the game or tie the game or whatever So, he calls a timeout to make his defensive substitutions, but that's not what NBC see. What they say has happened instead is that the Raiders were going to run down the clock and take the tie, which I will explain why that categorically wasn't going to happen. But, oh my god, the Raiders want to take this time. The Chargers have called a timeout to try and win the game. What are they doing? Oh, the Raiders are going to want to take revenge now. And the play is carried out. Josh Jacobs Runs for 10 yards and the Raiders run the clock down, call a timeout. Daniel Carlson kicks a 47 yard field goal to win the game in overtime. And NBC didn't like that. NBC didn't like this game didn't end in a tie and that this timeout called by Brandon Staley was breaking this agreement. Both teams wanted the game to end in a tie and by him calling that timeout, he's going no. I want to win, and the Raiders went fine. We'll take revenge. That is categorically not what happened. Brandon Staley called that timeout because he wanted to make the correct defensive substitutions. They didn't work, but that's what his intent was. So a lot of people online afterwards, in on Twitter and on Reddit and on all social media circles, was going. Brandon Staley just called the worst timeout in the history of timeouts. He should be fired from a cannon into the sun. He has been absolutely boneheaded there. That's the worst decision I've ever seen. Never mind the fact that early on in the game, Brandon Staley went for it on fourth and one from his own 19-yard line in the first half, which is really the call they should be absolutely having a go at correctly. No, no, no. This timeout was worse. Let's talk about what happens if the Chargers don't call that timeout. Because, seemingly, a lot of NFL fans think that what would have happened is that the Raiders would have run the clock down and accepted a tie. They categorically wouldn't have done that. And I don't even need to point to the fact that John Madden would be going absolutely bonkers at that and really hating it. I don't have to point out that Al Davis's slogan was Just Win Baby and not Just Tie Baby. But the reason they wouldn't have done that is that if the game had ended in a tie, the Raiders next week would be going to play the Chiefs. You know, the Chiefs who beat them 39-0 a few weeks ago. The Raiders want to play the Chiefs as much as I want to compete in a marathon. Which is to say, not at all, I'm a dreadful runner. So, the Raiders have an option, they can either run down the clock, accept a tie, and face the Chiefs next week, or they can try and pick up a few more yards to get an easier field goal for their very good kicker, Daniel Carlson, win the game, knock out a division rival, and play the Bengals next week. And they played the Bengals quite well earlier in the year, definitely better than the 39-0 loss to the Chiefs. So, of course, they were always going to run on that play. They just were. Josh Jacobs was always going to get that ball. And you can have a go at how the Chargers defended that run because they were dreadful. But you can't say that that timeout was breaking this agreement that the game was going to end in a tie and angered the Raiders for them to take that win. They were going to go for the win anyway. Stop living in this fantasy land where you're so desperate for a tie that you can't see objective reality. And to be honest, I get that the NBC crew have to react immediately to what's happening. And that from the get-go, it could have been seen like something else. But hindsight tells us that the Raiders were always going to go for that win. Hindsight tells us that this is always what was going to happen. The fact that you wanted the game to end in a tie doesn't change that. And that's exactly what happened. with Josh Jacobs ran for 10 yards. They got Carlson into better field goal range, called the timeout, and kicked the game-winning field goal thankfully for my heart rate. The Raiders obviously have to worry entering the playoffs because they shouldn't have collapsed the way they did against the Chargers. The number of fourth down attempts and third down attempts that they allowed on their defence was unacceptable. It is something they really need to work on going up against Joe Burrow and the very high powered Bengals offence next week. But they won. And credit to them. And especially credit to them in a year in which everything has gone so horribly wrong for the Las Vegas Raiders that most teams would have been derailed by. Rich Basaccia has done such a good job since becoming the interim head coach for the Raiders. For me, he is coach of the year. To get this side into the playoffs, to get this side where they are after being 6-7 and seven a few weeks ago, is a real testament to to him, to the players on that team, to the entire organisation. Credit to them, they have been exceptional this year. For the Chargers, they made a few really bad mistakes in this game. If they had not been so far down to begin with, they would have won. The fourth and, I love coaches who go for it, but the fourth and one decision on the 19-yard line in the first quarter was so stupid. Why would that's just taking a risk for the sake of taking a risk? That's not analytical. That's not what analytics says. That was just stupid. Brandon Staley, in his first year as a head coach, has done reasonably well, but there is stuff to build on entering year two for him. Justin Herbert played fantastically in this game. He was a real star of the show. Even though he only had an 80.4 passer rating, he threw the ball 64 times. So if this is the first time I've read that. <laughs> he threw the ball 64 times, but how clutch he was in that fourth quarter, how clutch he was on them fourth down throws. You know, the Raiders' defence should have been a lot better, but give credit to Herbert for how he managed them as well. Give credit to Mike Williams, who has really stepped up over the last few weeks, 119 yards through the air. He played really well as well. And by the way, the staff of the Raiders... Josh Jacobs, 132 yards on the ground, was absolutely phenomenal and, of course, set them up for that game-winning field goal. The Raiders move on with optimism. The Chargers have to lick their wounds after a harsh way to end a season. But, you know, there's still promise there. And no, the timeout did not affect anything in that game. Please shut up. The Los Angeles Chargers finished for season 9 and 8 and 3rd in the AFC West. The Las Vegas Raiders finished for season 10 and 7, the 5th seed in the AFC and 2nd in the AFC West. Okay it's now time to go into stuff that was slightly less eventful than the battle for the final two playoff places in the AFC. We're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills. 27 New York Jets ten. the Bills needed to win to absolutely guarantee the AFC East and that's exactly what they did in a fairly regulation victory against the New York Jets. They weren't very convincing to start the game. Entering the fourth quarter, this game was 13-10 Buffalo. And Josh Allen hadn't been great. In fact, he wasn't great for the entire game. past rate of 83.5. But they were doing just enough and they did finally take off in that fourth quarter. Devin Singletary being the star of the show. He got two touchdowns late on. One was a rushing touchdown. The other was a five-yard pass from Josh Allen. Overall, on the day, he had... 112 scrimmage yards and those two touchdowns he was the star of the show for Buffalo and it was just about enough Dak Wilson end of the season on a low point seven for 28 seven yards one touchdown a pass of Aitica 66 24 yards off two rushing attempts as well But this game was about Buffalo. They've won the AFC East for a second year in a row. And of course, it turned out that it didn't matter. Because over in Miami, the New England Patriots lost 24-33 to the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins raced out to an early 17-0 lead. Jalen Waddle made a great catch from Tua Tagovailoa before doing that Waddle celebration that I really like. Xavier Howard got a pick 6 Almost immediately after that in the first quarter as well, Jason Sanders added to it with a field goal. The Patriots were never able to quite claw their way fully back into the game. They did get a touchdown with just under three minutes to go in the fourth quarter to make it 27-24, but the Dolphins took over. They drained enough of the clock to make it that the Patriots needed a Hail Mary attempt that would have made the Miracle of Miami look like child's play to get the win and the attempt went horribly wrong and I'm sorry I'm going to get this guy's name wrong. Samuel Aguavroen, I think is how you say his name, recovered a fumble in the end zone to make it 33-24 as the final result. It means that Brian Flores has won three straight games against his former mentor Bill Belichick. How about that? Wow, a great way to end the season. Everything is going to be smooth sailing for Miami going into the off-season with five Flores. And I'm going to talk about this more in my end-of-season debrief podcast. I'm going to do a podcast where I talk about other teams who haven't made the playoffs um, in depth. And the Flores sacking really surprised me. It really surprised me. I'll talk about this more in that podcast, but I didn't expect that in the slightest. For the Patriots, it wasn't the best game. I think if they hadn't got out to such a bad start, they might end up winning this game. But when they were 17-0 down, it was going to be really hard to recover. They've recovered from bigger deficits, very famously, but it was always going to be a hard game. They're still in the playoffs. They're still looking really strong. I still trust them. Entering those playoffs, and of course, this has all set up a really mouth-watering tie. The Patriots playing the Buffalo Bills in the Wild Card round that's going to be absolutely exceptional to watch. Let's talk about those four teams then and where they are at the end of the season. The New York Jets are 4 and 13, they finish fourth in the AFC East. The Buffalo Bills finish 11 and 6, third in the AFC, first in the AFC East. The Miami Dolphins finish 9 and 8. Third in the AFC East, and the New England Patriots finished 10 and 7, sixth in the AFC, and second in the AFC East. One more game to mention then from the battle for the AFC Tennessee Titans 28, Houston Texans 25. With that win, the Tennessee Titans have wrapped up the one seed in the AFC. And it could have been more comfortable. It could have definitely been more comfortable, but the Texans did what they needed to do to win. They raced into a 21-7 lead to start this game and at that point just thought like we are going to stroll off into the distance but credit to the Texans considering they had nothing to fight for they really gave it a good go after that once again, Davis Mills played exceptionally well 23 for 33, 301 yards, three touchdowns, a pass rating of 128.5. He is definitely the franchise quarterback heading into 2022. Don't think anyone would disagree with that. Danny Amendola as well. Remember him? Another former Patriot. He had 113 yards through the air. He played exceptionally well too. And again, kind of like the Patriots, if they hadn't started off the game so poorly, they'd probably go on to win this game. And they would have swept the Titans if they had done that. Like, really? So that would have been interesting. But the Titans did do just about enough. Ryan Hill, 23 for 32, 287 yards, four touchdowns, a pass rating of 138.9. For the first time in a long time, the last two weeks, he has been absolutely exceptional. Put the team on his back and I've been able to cope without Derrick Henry. Donta Foreman, 69 yards on the ground, 15th of the air. Uh, Nick westbrook Kikini, who made an exceptional grab in this game midway through, 78 yards receiving as well. Not only do the Titans not have to use Derrick Henry in this game, but because they got the number one seed, it means they also don't have to use him next week either. They get that first round bye, and that is going to be so crucial. The Titans are hitting form right at the right time. They're getting their best player back exactly at the right time. They are going to be incredibly dangerous in the AFC. The AFC playoff picture is absolutely outstanding. I'm really looking forward to seeing who can come out of that Thunderdome and take that place in the Super Bowl. The Houston Texans finished for season 4 and 13 and third in the AFC South. The Tennessee Titans finished the season twelve and five. They have the one seed in the AFC, and they finished first in the AFC South. So let's just run through the playoff picture of the AFC one more time. The Tennessee Titans got the one seed. The Kansas City Chiefs of the two seed. The Buffalo Bills of the three seed. The Cincinnati Bengals of the four seed. The Raiders of the five seed. The Patriots of the sixth seed. And the Steelers are the 7th seed. So, the Tennessee Titans get that first round bye. Meanwhile, the Steelers will be travelling to the Chiefs. The Patriots will be travelling to the Bills. And the Raiders will be travelling to the Bengals. You'll have noticed that I've missed out the Bengals game. We're going to be talking about that in the very quick rundown at the end of the episode. Okay, let's move on to the NFC then. Because, obviously, there was a lot of games in the NFC that mattered. And uh, We're going to start off with the heated rivalry between the Atlanta Falcons and the New Orleans Saints. The Saints needed to win for any chance to get into the playoffs and they did that. New Orleans Saints 30, Atlanta Falcons 20. The first quarter of the game was fairly balanced before the Saints really took off in that second quarter. Tquan Smith in particular had a really good touchdown grab. For 13 yards, they added a field goal and then Juwan Johnson, just before time expired, caught another pass from Trevor Simeon. That made it 24-6 of a half and to be honest, there wasn't really any coming back from that for the Atlanta Falcons. Both Trevor Simeon and Taysom Hill split the reps at the position of quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, and both actually did quite well. Trevor Simeon, 9 for 15, 71 yards, 2 touchdowns, a pass rating of eleven point four. Taysom Hill, 7 for 9, 107 yards, 1 touchdown, a pass rating of 153.2. Only off 9 passes, though, just remember. Alvin Kamara as well, 146 yards on the ground. They did really well on offence and on defence as well. They held Matt Ryan to a pass rating of just 77.3. And one of the more impressive plays of the week was Paulson Adebo with a really good interception grab. Go and look that up if you can. It was absolutely phenomenal. The Falcons finished the regular season with a 7-10 record. That is an improvement on last year for the Saints. They had to see what would happen in the 49ers-Rams game to see if they would make the playoff. Spoiler, they wouldn't, but this has been a really impressive year for the Saints. I'll get on to it in the first season review podcast I'm going to be doing later on. I've also mentioned it in the season review article, which is already up on the Sports Blitz website. But they've been through four quarterbacks this year and still been able to post a winning record. That is impressive in my opinion. The New Orleans Saints are 9-8. They finish second in the NFC South. The Atlanta Falcons finished and 7-10 and third in the NFC South. So that win for the New Orleans Saints meant that the San Francisco 49ers would need a win to secure their spot in the playoffs and meanwhile their opponents the Los Angeles Rams would need a win to secure the NFC West. That was nothing to do with the Game between the Saints and Falcons, they just needed that anyway. But it was the 49ers who won and secured their playoff spot, as you could probably have guessed. San Francisco 49ers 27, Los Angeles Rams 24. The game started off really poorly for the San Francisco 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo for a really ugly interception. In the first half and by half time they were down 17-3. They hadn't really been able to get going for most of that half. In fact, their only three points came on a last second field goal heading into halftime from Robbie Gould. And that was weird because it really did feel like a 49ers home game. The 49ers travelled exceptionally well down to Los Angeles and they really made it sound like their home stadium. So much so that the LA Rams... A side who, may I remind you, have finished the season 12 and 5, the Rams had to use a silent count in their own stadium. That's bad. I cannot think of many winning sides who have been so outnumbered in their own stadium that they've had to use a silent count. That is absolutely just wild to me. Despite the fact that they would go on to win, this wasn't exactly a great game for quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo and that's not really a surprise. You might remember he had quite the harsh thumb injury. Entering this game he was very doubtful but the 49ers decided to give him a start and it almost didn't pay off. 23-32, 316 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, a pass rating of 87.5. As I said he had two interceptions. The first one was Really bad. There were four Rams closer to the ball than any 49er and it was an inevitable interception. I believe that one was caught by Taylor Rapp. And then the second one actually give credit to Jalen Ramsey because it was an absolutely exceptional grab. He tipped it to himself like three times before catching the ball. That was absolutely exceptional. He deserves a lot of credit for that. But For the most part, Jim Garoppolo didn't really have a great game. The star of that second half was actually Debo Samuel. He really got the side back into it. He had a 16-yard touchdown run at the start of the third quarter. And then, at the end of the third quarter, to tie the game up, he threw a 24-yard touchdown pass to Juwan Jennings. So, not only is he a fantastic running back, but obviously he's a fantastic wide receiver, we know this already. He had another 95 yards receiving as well as his 45 yards running on the day. But also he's a great quarterback as well. That one completion from him off one attempt for a touchdown, a pass rate of 158.3. So Debo Samuel really is the best quarterback, running back and wide receiver on the San Francisco 49ers. That second touchdown, his throw, tied the game up at 17. We have to give a lot of credit to Rams' star player. Cooper Cup was exceptional. 118 yards through the air, 18 yards on the ground. He caught a touchdown at the start of the fourth quarter. And what a catch it was as well! Absolutely incredible to get both feet in bounds whilst in double coverage. That got the Rams back up. But Jennings, this time catch a pass from Garoppolo, to tie the game at 24 at the end of regulation time, we went into overtime, Robbie Gould kicked a field goal and at this point we have to talk about the fact that Matt Stafford also had a bad game, 21-32, 238 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions, passivating a 93 and that second interception was the decisive one, he threw a game-sealing interception to Ambry Thomas to seal the game, again I'm really worried about Matthew Stafford entering these playoffs, he has not been playing well, and it could really cost them when we go into the postseason, but for the 49ers, they get into the playoffs, and when they're good, they're really good, and Debo Samuel man, he has been absolutely exceptional through most of this season, he has been outstanding, he has been so fun to watch, and I'm so happy that we'll get to see him more in the playoffs. The San Francisco 49ers are 10-7, and 7. they're the 6th seed in the NFC, and 3rd in the NFC West. The Los Angeles Rams are 12-5, and 5. they're 4th in the NFC, and win the NFC West. And that's because their game in the end didn't matter, because the Arizona Cardinals lost to the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle Seahawks 38, Arizona Cardinals 30. This looked like it was going to be such a better game for the Cardinals at the start. The first snap of the game was a defensive touchdown for the Cardinals. Zach Allen returning a fumble to the house to make it 7-0 immediately, but... Russell Wilson and that Seattle offense looked the best they've looked in quite a while. I say that, they put 50 points last week. But Russell Wilson, 15-26, for 26, 238 yards, three touchdowns, a pass rating 110.7. The star of the game, though, easily for the Seattle offense. Rashad Penny, 190 yards. Absolutely exceptional game from him. Maybe the MVP of the week because he was phenomenal. Tyler Lockett as well, 98 yards through the air and actually that was how they got level because the Seahawks came back out a bit bruised after that fumble recovery for a touchdown for the Cardinals and Russell Wilson found Tyler Lockett immediately for a 43-yard touchdown and to be honest the Arizona defense could not cope with the Seahawks and It depends what you think about the Seattle Seahawks' offence. I obviously think they're really good. I think Lockett's fantastic. I think Rashad Penny has been outstanding at points this season. And whilst they have been on a slump relatively this season, they're still a really, really talented offence and you can't really take that away from them. So, you know, this doesn't fill me with, like, lots of dread for the Cardinals, at least defensively, because, you know, we expect the Seahawks to put in good performances and speaking of Russell Wilson we should say that this was a big game for him Russell Wilson joined Peyton Manning as the only players in NFL history to post at least 3,000 passing yards and 20 touchdowns in each of their first 10 seasons he has been phenomenal you don't have to be told this Greg Ball on Twitter, also in the first half with his two touchdown throws to Tyler Lockett, Russell Wilson has passed Hall of Famer Dan Marino for second most passing touchdowns in the first 10 seasons of an NFL career. Wilson has 291 touchdown passes. Peyton Manning has the most with 306. So I think it's safe to say that Russell Wilson is a guaranteed Hall of Famer. The Cardinals, for the most part, didn't actually play that poorly in this game. Kyler Murray, 28-39, 240 yards, one touchdown, a pass rating of 96.1. Bearing in mind, the Seahawks' defence have been much improved this year. They do deserve a lot of credit for improving on that side of the ball. James Connor had a reasonable game, 93 scrimmage yards. Zach Ertz, 84 yards as well. So it's not like they played poorly. And of course, they put up 30 points against a reasonably good defence. A defence that does rank 11th on the year. So, you know, they're not dreadful. And the Cardinals put up 30 points against them. So, you know, that's fine. But I don't really know how to view this game for the Arizona Cardinals because, on the one hand, sometimes it just isn't your day. Sometimes you catch your opponents on a hot streak. Russell Wilson, this might be his last game as a Seattle Seahawk. We don't know. It might be Pete Cavill's last game as Seahawks head coach. Though he has come out saying that He expects to remain the head coach of the Seahawks going into the 2022 season. Either way, one of them or both of them might have wanted to go out on a bang and deliver a really good performance. That's what the Seahawks' offence did. The Cardinals just couldn't keep up. But on the other hand, they have now lost four of their last five games. And those losses have come to reasonable sides, the Seahawks obviously, the Colts, the Rams, but they did also lose to the Lions. They have been on a really bad run of form. Let's remember that this was a side who were 10-2 and two earlier in the season. This is now a side who are 11-6. and six. They're the first side to ever start a season 7-0 and 0 and lose six games. So that's really concerning and they're going to Los Angeles next week. The Rams are a good side, obviously. They won the NFC West. I worry about them. If this ends up being a one and done playoff campaign, then there will be questions raised about Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona. This season has undoubtedly been an improvement. But the way it's trailed off again, just like last season did, is going to concern people. If they win in the playoffs, if they get a good win against the Rams, then those doubts get silenced and everything's fine and this was a good year of progress a building block for 2022 but if they don't win against the rams i do worry that questions will be asked about how this season a season that started 10 and 2 went so wrong for the Arizona Cardinals the Seattle Seahawks finished the season 7 and 10 and fourth in the NFC West the Arizona Cardinals finished the season 11 and six for fifth seed in the NFC and second in the NFC West. Okay, let's see what all of this meant for the NFC. Then the Green Bay Packers ended up being the number one seed in the NFC. We've known that for quite a while now, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the two seed, the Cowboys are the three seed, the Rams are the four seed, the Cardinals are the five seed, the 49ers are the sixth seed, and the Eagles are the seventh seed. So the Green Bay Packers get back by. The Philadelphia Eagles are travelling to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the 49ers travelling to the Cowboys in a great old rivalry rivet Apparently, a lot of younger fans and younger players actually don't really know about. There is a documentary NFL Films did a couple of years ago called A Tale of Two Cities, I believe, which is about the 49ers-Cowboys rivalry, so go and watch that if you haven't, and the Cardinals are going to travel to the Rams. Okay, it's now time to go into the games very quickly that didn't have an impact on the playoffs. There are some games that could have had an impact on the playoffs in here, Especially the Bengals and Chiefs games, but because the Titans won, their games didn't matter. And to be honest, there are just a load of games in here that I don't really care for talking about much. Well, let's start with a game that was kind of interesting. Green Bay Packers 30, Detroit Lions 37. The Packers had already wrapped up the 1-team. They had their starters in for the first half, but then they benched them for the second half. Meaning that those starters get a, a 1.5 game break. Jordan Love came in. He struggled in his second game as a Green Bay Packer. 10-17, for 17, 134 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, a pass rating of 64. But this game wasn't really about the Green Bay Packers in the end. They'd already secured the number one seed. This game didn't match them. This was about the Detroit Lions. And, of course, it's worth pointing out that if the Lions had actually lost to the Packers, they would have the number one pick in the NFL Draft right now. But that's not what Dan Campbell cares about. He has that saying, winning creates winners, losing creates losers, and so he wanted to go out and win this game, and man, did the Detroit Lions really impress in this game, even though this was against the Green Bay B team for most of the game. Jared Goff 21 for 30, 238 yards, two touchdowns, a passer rating of 115.7. Khalif Raymond, 101 yards receiving. Amon Saint Brown, 109 yards receiving. They played really well and they played with a great energy. They just went out there and wanted to have fun. Ross Tucker on Twitter, the 2021 Lions might be my favourite bad team ever. And to be honest, I think they're everyone's favourite bad team ever because they have approached most of this season with a really good energy. they threw out so many trick plays in this game, especially the Khalif Raymond touchdown comes to mind and the Brock Wright touchdown, the pass from... Jared Goff. That was exceptional as well. Go and look them up if you haven't seen them because they were really good plays. As well as pulling out these fun trick plays, the Lions also go for it on fourth down a lot. During this game, they had their 40th fourth down attempt. That is the most fourth down attempts any team has had in the history of the NFL. That is absolutely exceptional. Well done to the Detroit Lions, for just being so brave. They have been so fun to watch as a result. And there was that lull in the middle of the season where they were losing games a lot and it looked like they were going to go 0-17 and the play calling got more conservative and I hated it and I hated watching them. But at the start of the year and at the end of the year after their first win against the Vikings, they have just been exceptional to watch. Credit to them. Two people who were watching them in this game were people who were wearing Detroit, Green Bay, half and half shirts. And at first I thought that was the worst thing that I'd ever seen until I realised they had the number 19 on the Green Bay side and the number 14 on the Detroit side. And then I realised it was the parents of the St. Browns. Obviously, Equanemia St. Brown playing for the Packers, Amon Ra St. Brown playing for the Lions. And whilst Equanemia St. Brown has had a reasonable start to his NFL career, he has had nothing on his younger brother, Amon Rasent Brown. He became the fifth rookie in NFL history to produce 70-plus receiving yards in six straight games, joining Brandon Ayuk in 2020, Odell Beckham Jr. in 2014, Randy Moss in 1998 and Bill Groman in in 1960. Amon Rahsent Brown has been a revelation for the Detroit Lions. He has been the best player on the Detroit Lions. He has been absolutely phenomenal. I look forward to seeing him in 2022. And to be honest, I look forward to seeing all of the Detroit Lions in 2022. They were a really fun side to watch this season. The Detroit Lions finished with a record of 3-13-1 and 4th in the NFC North. The Green Bay Packers finished with a record of 13-4 First in the NFC, first in the NFC North. Before we go into the next part of the podcast, I want to say that this was recorded before some pretty big news came out and you'll be able to guess what news I'm referring to once this section starts. But don't worry, we will address it after this section of the podcast. Washington football team 22, New York Giants 7. I look forward to watching the Detroit Lions next year. I don't look forward to watching the New York Giants. Bob Glauber on Twitter, been covering Giants since 1985 and can't recall the parking lots being this empty this soon before kickoff. off Apathy has set in on a dank, damp overcast day for the 4-12 home team. And it got worse, obviously, the Giants have finished the season 4-13. But the game itself was absolutely beyond dreadful. Speaking in the middle of the week, Joe Judge called the Washington football team a clown show. Those are strong words. Ron Rivera said, you know, he should stick to talking about his own team. And Ron Rivera and the Washington clown show, as Joe puts it, came in and completely destroyed the Giants. I don't get how Joe Judge has the audacity to speak about any other team as a clown show when pretty much every other team are better ran than his team are. He is a joke at this point. He is a running joke, uh, but the, the thing is, the joke isn't funny anymore. This is a man who doesn't deserve the job he's in, and I'm sure Joe Judge is great away from the football field, but I have to talk about him as it relates to his role as a head coach of the New York Football Giants, one of the most prestigious sides in in the history of the NFL and my god does he do that job appallingly. He doesn't deserve the job and with the way it looks he doesn't look like he even wants the job and we can tell this from one play that defines this season for the New York Giants. I get that Jake Fromm was starting at quarterback for the Giants and that's not great but on third and nine from their own four yard line They ran a quarterback sneak on third and nine. What are we even doing anymore? Why are we even going out there to play football when we're running a quarterback sneak on third and nine? That is the most humiliating play I have seen in the NFL this season. It is up there with the butt fumble in terms of absolutely stupid humiliation in the NFL and at least with the butt fumble Mark Sanchez was trying to do something. When you are running a quarterback sneak on third and nine you are saying I don't trust my team to do anything you might as well kneel on the ball at that point. I don't think there is any logic to that play at all I get that Jake Fromm isn't exactly the best quarterback in the NFL, but he can at least throw for nine yards. He can at least try something. This was a game in which the Giants were losing and decided on third and nine to run a quarterback sneak. As Rich Eisen said on his show, that is the definition of unacceptable. That by itself should be a sackable offence. And yet, they're keeping him. Joe Judge has shown throughout the season that he shouldn't remain the head coach of the New York Giants. But this play alone proves it. And as we'll go into later on, there have been way better coaches who have been sacked. And yet the Marvers sit there going, yeah, this is fine. Yeah, well, it's, this is fine. I don't see anything wrong. There's it. nothing to correct. He's been doing a stellar job this Giants side are not getting better whilst Joe Judge remains the head coach. He has shown plenty enough to indicate that he shouldn't be the head coach for Giants anymore. By the way, a couple of other things just to further the misery. The Giants only had 10 net passing yards in the first half. They just don't throw the ball anymore. I get that Jake Fromm is not Tom Brady, but just try anything. You're losing to the Washington football team who aren't exactly the best defence in the NFL. Just try something. And secondly, Darius Slayton caught a touchdown in this game for the Giants. So it's the first time a Giants wide receiver had caught a touchdown since October 24th. We're not playing in the 1940s. This is a team in 2021 who had not thrown a touchdown to a wide receiver between the 24th of October and the 9th of January. What more is there to say about the New York Giants and the direction they're heading in if they do not fix their problems, they are doomed. So as you probably know by now, Joe Judge has been fired by the New York Giants at the time, I recorded that first piece, I was of the assumption that the Giants were going to keep him on, that's what the reports for time said, but the Giants turned around, they decided to sack him in the end, depending on what source you trust, it was either Marva who decided, I don't know what, or he was pressured into it by other people within the organisation, either way, Joe Judge will not be the head coach of the New York Giants heading into the 2022 season and obviously this is a good thing. The Giants have been playing very poor football over the last few weeks. His answers in press conferences have been just strange and it never really looked like when you looked at Joe Judge they was ever going to get better. Now we do have to acknowledge at the same time and some people have been pointing this out correctly and some people have been using it to like overly defend Joe Judge and say that he should still be in the role which isn't the case but it is worth pointing out that Joe Judge didn't exactly have the best working environment in New York. For most of his season, he's been playing with Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm at quarterback. The draft picks and free agency signings made by GM Dave Gettleman have been some of the worst in the NFL. I truly don't get how Mara wanted to defend him so much because Dave Gettleman has probably been the worst GM in in the league over the last three, four years. And so it is fair to acknowledge that Joe Judge, whilst not being a great head coach himself, also didn't have the best sort of environment. He didn't have the best opportunities to succeed in New York. Now, there is obviously a chance that this ends up being like Belichick at Cleveland. And he's got this head coaching role far too early. And he couldn't cope with the pressure because it really seemed like he couldn't cope with the pressure at times. Like I said his answers in press conferences, how he approached the media, how he approached other teams. It seemed like he just could not cope with the limelight at points, especially in the ultra-challenging New York media market. But maybe it was a case of him being a head coach too soon. Maybe it's just the fact he can't be a head coach at the NFL level. We don't know yet. Maybe he gets another head coaching job down the road. He won't be getting one this year, obviously. And I do want to point out that my anger at the time was in part to do with how dreadful Joe Judge's play calling was, in part to do with the answers he gave in press conferences, but it also was just a desperate desire to see the Giants do the right thing and let him go because no matter what you think of Joe Judge, it wasn't working in New York and I don't think it was going to get better in New York. So, I really wanted to see the Giants finally sack him. I will point out this, though. Since being fired, Joe Judge has actually handled it really well. He's handled his sacking well. He had a thank you for all of the coaches and staff on the team. And when people have been saying, oh, you know, I don't think you're giving the best opportunities, I was going, oh, thank you. So much for, you know, showing your support, it means a lot to me. So he has actually been showing some real decorum since being fired and that really has increased my respect for him. Not that it matters for him, obviously, but I think it shows that he can handle failure well and that he is a model professional. Didn't always show that in New York, but his firing has implied that he is actually a really good professional it was correct for the Giants to sack him and it was also fair to point out that the Giants didn't give him all of the opportunities to succeed in the first place, but I do want to say that for all of the slack that I've given him, I still want to wish him all the best going forward. The Washington football team finished for season 7-10 and 3rd and in the NFC East. The New York Giants finished for season 4 and 13 and fourth in the NFC East. Right, time to go through the rest of the games as quickly as possible. Kansas City Chiefs 28. Denver Broncos 24. The Broncos actually reasonably kept up with the Chiefs in this game, despite having Drew Locke at quarterback. Of course, the start of the game was at Run Show, particularly Malvin Gordon, 110 yards on the ground, Javonta Williams 46, but they couldn't keep up with the Chiefs in the end. Speaking after the game Vic Fongio was asked why the Denver Broncos hadn't been able to compete with the other teams in the AFC West and he said simply that they've not had the quarterback. That was a pretty clear message to ownership as to why his Denver Broncos side haven't had a winning record since he took that job in 2019 but it wasn't enough to save him as he expected at that point Vic Fangio has been fired by the Denver Broncos the defense is third best in the NFL he's fixed that defense good and proper but the issue is he's never had the quarterback the quarterbacks he's had since he was there what Drew Locke Teddy Bridgewater uh, they had to play Kendall Hinton at quarterback last year if you remember Uh, Blake Bortles was the backup quarterback at one point they've never had a good starting quarterback that has cost him in the end He's not going to get a head coaching role, but look, he commanded the third best defence in the NFL. He's going to get a DC role somewhere, but he will be the priority defensive coordinator candidate this off-season. And you've just got to think, though, they took Patrick Sertain this year with the ninth overall pick, and Sertain's been fantastic this season, but they took him whilst Trey Lance and Mac Jones were still on the board. That could age horribly and be the one decision that the Broncos come to regret for years. The Kansas City Chiefs finished for season 12 and 5 and second in the AFC, first in the AFC West. The Denver Broncos finished for season 7 and 10 and fourth in the AFC West. Chicago Bears 17, Minnesota Vikings 31. Two teams who have decided to clear house after this game for the Bears. Head coach Matt Nagy, GM Ryan Pace have both been fired for the Minnesota Vikings. Mike Zimmer and GM Rick Spielman have both been fired as well. This game didn't matter. Both teams need a complete restart, and that is what both teams are going to get this off season. The Chicago Bears finished the season six and eleven and third in the NFC North. The Minnesota Vikings finished the season eight and nine and second in the NFC North. Cincinnati Bengals 16, Cleveland Browns 21. Both teams had their backup quarterbacks in and the result wasn't too much of a surprise. I would say Case Keenum is a slightly better quarterback than Brandon Allen, so five-point win. Who cares about this game? The Bengals advance to the playoffs. The Cincinnati Bengals finish the season 10 and 7, the fourth seed in the AFC and first in the AFC North. The Cleveland Browns finish the season 8 and 9 and third in the AFC North. Dallas Cowboys 51, Philadelphia Eagles 26. The Cowboys started their starters in this game, the Eagles did not. First score ended up reflecting that the Dallas Cowboys finished the season twelve and five and first in the NFC East, third in the NFC. I did vote the wrong way round, but whatever, we'll just stick with it. The Philadelphia Eagles finished the season nine and eight. They're the seventh seed in the NFC and second in the NFC East. Final game to mention: then Carolina Panthers seventeen, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 41. NFL on Fox on Twitter. For the second time in his career, Tom Brady has thrown 5,000-plus passing yards in a season. He joins Drew Brees as the only quarterbacks to throw 5,000 passing yards in a season multiple times. Brees did it five times. Bruce Arians has said it will be a travesty if Tom Brady doesn't win MVP. I wouldn't go that far, but I would say he's definitely the MVP front runner. Personally, I'm in the Joe Burrow club for MVP, but I don't think that's going to happen. And if it's not him, then it should be Tom Brady. And by the way, that's not because he's doing what he's doing at 44. That's just because he's the best quarterback in the NFL at the moment. And with all the injuries and problems the Buccaneers have been through this season, to continue that higher level of production has been impressive. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers finished the season 13-4, and four, the second seed in the NFC and first in the NFC South. The Carolina Panthers finished the season 5-12 and 12 and fourth in the NFC South. Okay, time for prediction scores then and we finished the season on a whimper. I went eight and eight. Will also went eight and eight. Josh did his first two predictions on Saturday and then completely forgot to do them on Sunday, so he went 2 and 14. And we both also incorrectly locked me and Will. I locked the Colts over the Jaguars. Lol. Meanwhile, Will locked the Packers over the Lions, which was weird because I thought they were going to bench all of their stars. Will clearly. Didn't so overall. Like, I can say anything, I lock the Colts. Never learn my lessons, do I? Overall, this season, in the regular season anyway, I went 180 and 91. Will went 160 and 111. Josh went 108 and 163. So, I have now guaranteed that I will win the Predictions League for a second year in a row. I am the champion. Feels weird celebrating like this by myself, but whatever. We'll go with it. In the lock battle as well, that ends in the regular season, I went 15 and 3, securing the lock battle as well. Will went 13 and 5. Josh went 10 and 8. Okay, for the final time this year, it's time to go into the power rankings for week 18 in first I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs. They took care of business against the Denver Broncos, who did put up a reasonable fight, but the Chiefs continue to be a really good side. They're going to be a strong contender for the AFC. Second, the Buffalo Bills. They took care of business against the New York Jets in a who-cares sort of way. Third, the Tennessee Titans, the Houston Texans, did give them a scare. It's worth pointing out, by the way, the Titans lost to the Texans earlier on in the season, but Ryan Tannehill did enough, and it's also worth pointing out the Titans will be getting Derrick Henry back for the playoffs, as well as getting that first round by, so they're terrifying as well. In fourth, the San Francisco 49ers, they deserve a bit of love, because they played really well against the Los Angeles Rams, the defense stood up Debo Samuel, was absolutely exceptional once again. They're looking like a tough side to beat, entering the playoffs. And in fifth, the Green Bay Packers, they were first last week. They lost to the Lions this week, but they rested their starters for most of the game, so it doesn't really matter. In 28th, I'm going to go for the Jacksonville Jaguars. This was easily the best game of the season for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yes, I beat Buffalo, but that game was weird. This game was just a really convincing performance. From the Jags, they have reasons to be optimistic going into next season, of course, because of other fixtures, they also got that first overall pick. They completely stunned Carson Wentz. They kept Jonathan Taylor quiet. The offense did their job. Trevor Lawrence had his first really good game in the NFL. Optimism for the Jaguars entering the new season. So long as they get the head coach pick right this time. 29th, I'm going for the Detroit Lions. Look, it was only half a Packers side, but the Lions wanted to have fun. They did have fun. They brought out those creative plays. They went through it on fourth down. They had a really good game. They end the season on a high. 30th for the New York Jets. They lost to the Bills, whatever. 31st for Carolina Panthers. They lost to the Bucks, whatever. 32nd, the New York Giants. They ran a quarterback sneak on Third and nine. Quit. That was the most humiliating play I've watched in a long time. The Giants are going backwards quickly. And until they fire Joe Judge, there is no chance of progress at MetLife Stadium. At least for them. The Jets obviously don't rely on whether Joe Judge is going to stay or not. 272 regular season games have been building up to this moment we've gone through all 18 weeks of the regular season and it is now time to look ahead to the playoffs i'm going to be previewing all games from the wild card round of the playoffs and i'll be predicting as i go along we're going to be going in chronological order and all games will begin their kickoff time in gmt so that's for you British fans. Most of our audience base is British. So it makes more sense to do that. Let's start off, therefore, with the Saturday night game. A 9 30 pm start for the Las Vegas Raiders' trip to the Cincinnati Bengals. Obviously. We know how the Raiders got here, that game, on Sunday Night Football against the Los Angeles Chargers, and this is their reward for winning that game. Instead of going to the Chiefs, which would have happened if they tied, they're going to be going to the Cincinnati Bengals instead. Almost like it made more sense to go for the win, which is what they were trying to do, fun fact. By the way, since I recorded that first piece on the Raiders Chargers game, I, I think i Rich Basaccia said, oh yeah, we would have been happy with taking a tie. That is called winding people up, particularly the Chargers. So just just a note for those of you guys, see they would have taken the tie, because they wouldn't have. The Raiders definitely have more hope entering the game against the Bengals than they would have done if they were playing the Kansas City Chiefs. Just like the Chiefs, the Raiders have played the Bengals this year, but the Bengals did win that game. at Allegiant Stadium back in week 11 of the NFL season and whilst obviously that was a good win for the Bengals it definitely wasn't as good a win as the Chiefs had when they last played the Raiders because the Chiefs are more terrifying. That game shows us what the main problem is going to be for the Raiders in this game because the Bengals put up 32 points and of course the main focus of this team this year has been the offense. The Bengals rank seventh in the NFL when it comes to offense. Meanwhile the Raiders defense have really struggled. They rank 26th on the season and whilst they're better at defending the pass than they are the run it doesn't really matter because Cincinnati have ways to hurt you everywhere. They've got Joe Mixon at running back, Joe Burrow, one of the best quarterbacks in the league this year for me the MVP candidates that I would go for and obviously they've got that really talented wide receiver core Tyler Boyd, T Higgins, Jamar Chase. So it's very rare that when a strong offense are on form against the Raiders that the Raiders can actually keep up with them and this is where the big problem comes in for Vegas because more than likely, Joe Burrow and that Cincy offence are going to have really strong games. The question is whether Derek Carr and Vegas offence can keep up with him. Derek Carr has had an impressive season at points and an underwhelming season at other points. When you look at his overall Passer rating, he comes in at just above average this season. Though, at points, he has looked way better than just above average. And, to be honest, when I saw that his pass rate was only 94, I was genuinely surprised. The Raiders have overachieved just to be here. With the problems they've gone through this season, they shouldn't have been in a position to make the playoffs. But, here they are in the wild card round. And, who knows, any given Sunday, they need to try and do whatever they can to stop that Joe Burrow led Cincy offense because Derek Carr, Josh Jacobs, Hunter Renfro, this Raiders offense, they can do things. It's also worth pointing out the Cincinnati defense only ranked 17th on the year, but they're really good at stopping the run. That's not going to help with Josh Jacobs, of course. Derek Carr, Hunter Renfro and Co., they're going to need to keep up with that Cincy offense. Can they, though? The fifth seeded Las Vegas Raiders travel to the fourth seed Cincinnati Bengals I'm taking a Bengals win. Moving on to the second game on Saturday at 1.15am start in the UK for the New England Patriots trip to the Buffalo Bills. Obviously the last time these two sides met on Boxing Day it was the Bills who had a really good win against the Patriots in Foxborough to take control of the AFC East. Both of these sides have been absolutely exceptional through parts of this season. Both of these sides could really threaten if they get past the other one. The Patriots' offence ranks 6th in the NFL and they're coming up against the Buffalo defence that over the last few weeks has actually overtaken the Patriots' defence to be the best in the NFL. Meanwhile, the Buffalo Bills' offence, led by Josh Allen, They've been fantastic this season. They rank third but they're going to have a tough task as well as they go up against the second ranked Patriots defence. Obviously the defences didn't mean much the last time these two sides faced because there were 54 points in the game but it should be an absolute thriller. Matt Jones will be playing in his first playoff game. He is going up against that really tough Buffalo defence. Meanwhile, Josh Allen has been here before. He wants to try and get back at least to the conference championship game, maybe get to the Super Bowl. And the Buffalo Bills are more than capable of doing that, even in this crowded field. So, what should be the main emphasis for both of these sides? Well, simply put, the run game. Because whilst the Patriots and Bills are both really good defences, they rank top two in the league, neither of them are that good at defensive run. The Buffalo Bills rank 13th when it comes to the number of rushing yards per game they give up on defence. Meanwhile, the Patriots rank 22nd. And we know that both of these teams have reasonable run games. Obviously, you've got Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris for the New England Patriots. Meanwhile, the Buffalo Bills have them in Singletary. So, the more they can get their run games into this game, the more they can get them playing well, the higher their chances of victory. Though, this game is still obviously going to run through Mac Jones and Josh Allen. Or, more particularly, it's going to run through them defences, maybe. It is also worth pointing out that when it comes to the offensive ranks, the Buffalo Bills and New England Patriots both rank as better run offences than they do pass offences. So really, it maybe ends up being like the first game between the two sides this year where they're both only throwing the ball three times because they know they've run games better. Weirdly enough, I don't think that's going to happen. But either way, this is going to be an absolutely incredible game. I can't wait to record it and watch it in the morning because I am not staying up for that. Either way, this is one of the hardest games to predict in the NFL this weekend. The sixth seeded New England Patriots travel to the third seed Buffalo Bills. I'm going to take a Bills win just about, just because of home field advantage. Though this really could go either way, I would not be surprised to the slightest if Bill Belichick, master of the playoffs, is able to find a way around that Buffalo Bills side. Right, time's going to the Sunday games then. The 6.05pm kickoff in the NFC on Sunday is the Philadelphia Eagles at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This has been a season of improvement for the Philadelphia Eagles after last year's controversy in the last game of the season against Washington. They've really turned it around this season finishing with a record of 9-8, and eight, getting back into the playoffs in Nick Sirianni's first season. And they've been led by the impressive quarterback play of Jalen Hurts, that exceptional run game, the talent of Devonta Smith as well. Overall, they have the 12th best offense in the NFL, but they have the first ranked run game. So the question is, is that going to mean anything against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Tampa have the second best offense in the NFL. And of course, the main focus of that offense has been it would be a travesty if he's not MVP Tom Brady. Tom Brady has been exceptional this year. Obviously, he's been exceptional. No surprises there. With over 5,000 yards of passing, 43 touchdowns as well, he leads the best pass offense in the NFL. But don't forget, like with last season's Super Bowl champions, the Tampa defence does a lot. They are the fifth-ranked defence in the NFL. And here's the problem for Philadelphia. They're the third-best rush defence. Now, there are problems for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Levante David is still on injured reserve. And Chris Godwin Leonard Fournette are as well. So this is not a full-strength Tampa team. But... I'm still not very optimistic. They have played once this year, back in week six. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers won 28-22 at the link. But that was a less injury-riddled Tampa side. That was a Philadelphia Eagles side that was still figuring out what they were doing. And who knows? Any given Sunday, the Buccaneers, whilst they have been injured, Tom Brady has shown a perseverance and ability to overcome that. The Philadelphia Eagles, though, who knows? They could actually do something. They've got to figure out, though, how to get past that very powerful Tampa run defence. Because if they can't, that's their game plan out the window. It is worth pointing out as well, Jalen Hurts' pass rating is only in the 80s. So it's not like they can just purely rely on the pass game. But if they do do that, obviously, Devonta Smith is going to be there to break in all of them catchers. Still, it's a big ask for the Eagles to beat the reigning Super Bowl champions. I'd say fingers crossed for them, but I don't particularly care about the Eagles and the Buccaneers. Yeah, the same sort of boat. But the seventh seed Philadelphia Eagles travel to the two seed Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm taking a Buccaneers win. The second game on Sunday, a 9.40pm start for a classic rivalry renewed. The San Francisco 49ers are travelling to the Dallas Cowboys. Just out of interest, the... Website I normally use says it's a 9.40pm start. Sky Sports' website, meanwhile, gives it as a 9.30pm start. So just double-check all of these kickoffs when you go and uh, get ready to watch them. But this is a very famous old rivalry, and it's going to be reignited in 2021. They've not played each other this season, which I think is the first time that that's happened with any of the games I've previewed so far. But we know what these two sides are all about. The Dallas offense overall rank as the best offense in the NFL, that partially through Dak Prescott and that powerful passing game, which is slightly behind Tom Brady overall as a pass offense. But it's it's also helped by that run game with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard, though, he has been limited in practice this week, and he has been very crucial. When Ezekiel Elliott's been struggling over the weeks, he has been able to step up and replace his production, so he is absolutely vital to this Dallas offense. Meanwhile, the Dallas defense took a significant step forward this season. They rank 7th in the NFL And quite surprisingly, they do rank higher than the San Francisco defence, who rank 9th. Meanwhile, the San Fran offence rank 13th. So it is technically strength on strength, weakness on weakness. The Dallas offence and San Fran defence are better than their inverses. But key for the 49ers is going to be stopping turnovers. The Dallas defence rank best in the NFL when it comes to that. And, of course, the other key for the 49ers' offence is getting the ball in the hands of Debo Samuel, who has been an absolutely exceptional running back wide receiver quarterback for them this season. If you do want some optimism for the 49ers, who definitely are going to put up a really good fight against the Cowboys, they are really strong at stopping the pass, and, of course, that is the main area of strength for this Dallas offence. But for San Francisco, they need to put in a really strong defensive stand. They need to hope that Jimmy Garoppolo continues to recover from his injury and that they can get the ball to Debo Samuel and Elijah Mitchell as much as possible. The sixth seed San Francisco 49ers travels to the three seed Dallas Cowboys. I'm taking a Cowboys win. Okay, the final game on Sunday is for Sunday Night Football. A 1.15am start on Monday in the UK. For the Pittsburgh Steelers trip to the Kansas City Chiefs. What is most likely the last game in the storied career of Ben Roethlisberger. Because oh boy is this going to be a really hard game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. To be honest with the fact that we've got into the playoffs. And the fact that Ben's final playoff game is definitely now not going to be that absolute slaughtering. of the hands of Cleveland Browns in last year's playoffs. I don't care. I don't care what happens. I don't think the Steelers are going to win. And to be honest, even if we lose by 40 points, I just don't care. It's been a wonderful career for Ben Roethlisberger. That's going to be a point of focus for the Pittsburgh Steelers. For Chiefs, obviously they want to get back to a third straight Super Bowl. And they've been doing all the right things over the last few weeks. Patrick Mahomes from that Kansas offense is still one of the best in the NFL. Entering this game, they rank fourth on the season and whilst the defense starts off the season bad then got really good Steve Spagnolo's defensive unit does rank eighth in the NFL entering this game. So the one thing that the Steelers have going for them is whether they can get the Chiefs defense to screw up again because they have been suspect at points though notably not when the Chiefs played the Steelers When the defence for the Chiefs was fantastic and the offence was fantastic. And to be honest, that score was very, very lenient to Pittsburgh. If Pittsburgh can create a screw-up by good offensive play calling, then, you know, they could do something. But they would have to do a lot to get a win for Ben Roethlisberger in this game. Because the Chiefs are so, so strong. Arguably the class of the AFC, and they will be expected to go way further than the wild card round. A round they've not been too used to recently. Still, I don't think that's going to harm them in this game. The seventh seed Pittsburgh Steelers travel to the two seed Kansas City Chiefs. I'm taking a Chiefs win. Final game to mention then is a Monday night football special. One fifteen a.m. start for the Arizona Cardinals trip to the Los Angeles Rams, and of course we've mentioned earlier on, the Cardinals have been on a horrid run of form. After being 10-2 and at one point, they have lost four of their last five games, and that is not very good, especially when you're going up against a good side in the Los Angeles Rams, who, despite losing last week to the 49ers, claimed the NFC West crown. Their run, compared to the Cardinals before their game against the 49ers, they'd won five straight, so... Two teams coming into this game on very different form. It's obviously worth pointing out that in the two games they've played this season, the Cardinals and Rams split the series. The Cardinals won the game at SoFi Stadium back in week four, I want to say. I haven't actually checked. I should have checked. Yeah, week four, they won 37-20 back when the Cardinals were the best side in the NFL. Meanwhile, back in... In week 14, the Rams won at Arizona's Stadium 30-23. In that second game, the Rams' defense did a really good job of keeping Kyler Murray quiet, but they have not been the best overall this year. They rank 15th in the NFL. And the recent slide for the Cardinals has really hurt their rankings. Offensively, they now rank 11th. Defensively, they rank 11th. But the key thing is, considering that Matthew Stafford has been suspects over the last few weeks, the Cardinals are better at defending the pass than they are the run. They rank 7th at defending the pass, 20th at defending the run. So this game, Sonny Michel has a real chance to show his worth to this team. Not that he hasn't been through the year, but this can further drive that point home. Matthew Stafford needs to play better than he has been playing in recent weeks because whilst the Cardinals haven't been inspiring on defence recently. They still have that ability in them to keep going. Put in a dominant performance and show the Rams what their defence has been at points this season. The Cardinals game plan should be as simple as the Rams one that I've just laid out. Because whilst the Rams defence ranks 6th when it comes to stopping the run... They rank 22nd when it comes to stopping the pass. Kyler Murray has been a good passer all year and Chase Edmonds is not looking likely to start at the moment. He's not been practising so Kyler Murray and that really good pass game need to get going. It doesn't help them obviously that they're going to be missing DeAndre Hopkins still but I have enough faith in what's left for the Cardinals to pull out a decent performance still. This is going to be an incredibly tough game. They need to reverse their form if they have any chance of beating their NFC West rivals. The fifth seed, Arizona Cardinals, travel to the fourth seed, Los Angeles Rams. I'm taking a Rams win. I've been way more happy to pick Cardinals at the beginning of the season. But unfortunately, that's not where we are anymore. And By the way, I do have to mention the most important bit of information for the entire weekend. This is... By far more important than anything else I've said for this entire podcast, the Nickelodeon game is going to be 49ers at Cowboy. So, you know, if that's the version you want to watch, take note because that's the game that's going to be on Nickelodeon. Who's ready to get slimed in the slime zone with the slime cannons? Oh, that's going to be slime. Oh, so excited. Anyway, that is all the time we have on the NFL Blitz today. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week to review all games from the wildcard round of the playoffs. Until then, I've been Alex Woodward. And don't just have a good week. We'll have the best play in NFL history. Have an immaculate one. Goodbye.